0: All right, so we're going to start week two. We started last week, this series I'm calling Fact Check, Fact Check. And what we want to do is we're trying to take these questions, these ideas, and trying to work through how do we process them, how do we sort through it. So last week we looked at good God and bad things happening. How do we process a good God and all these bad things happening? And so basically what I dove into is it's not that simple. And if you want to get the full message, go back and listen to it. Um, But there's different reasons in which God has a bigger plan than we can understand, and we just have to trust Him. We just have to trust Him. So this week, we're going to look at this idea, how can we trust the Bible, and how can we trust the Bible to be the words of God? Same kind of question. It's not two different ones. Same question. How can we trust the Bible, slash, how can we trust the Bible is the words of God? And so... When we're reading something like the Bible, when we're building our life on something, we probably need to be sure that we know this is true. Have you ever been doing something in life, reading something, somebody calls on you in school and you're not totally sure of the answer? I want you to look at this. You might have seen these commercials, but here's what it looks like when you're not really sure. Can we even afford this house? I'm pretty sure we can. I'm pretty sure. Rocket mortgage, you can be safe. I'm not pretty sure. What's the difference? Let me show you. I'm pretty sure these aren't poisonous. I'm pretty sure these are parachutes. Might have a sandwich. That's fine. I'm pretty sure you do not run. It. I'm pretty sure you can take Batista down. You're off. Yeah, I'm pretty sure this is training. I'm pretty sure these women aren't the murdering type. I'm pretty sure we can make it. <laughs> let's go, sir. Good choice. When you're buying a home, pretty sure, it isn't sure enough. When you need to be certain about how much home you can afford, rocket camp. Hi, neighbor. I old is the dog? Not again. <laughs> so that's what. That's what it looks like in life, though, when we look at something that we're just pretty sure about. And so when it comes to the Word of God, when it comes to the Bible, we're taking something that we're building our entire lives on, that we're putting everything that we have on the foundation of God's Word. And so if we're going to trust something, if we're going to build our life on it, we probably need to know that it's true. We can't just be pretty sure that this is true. And we're pretty sure this is the words of God. And so we're going to dive into this question. And you might be in two different camps here this morning. You might be in the camp that's over here and said, Yeah, I've been raised in church. I've been told that the Bible is true. And so you kind of just believe that and you've never questioned it. And so we're going to work through that a little bit. Or you may be on this side where you were raised in church. But you could never come to the conclusion or never totally understand that this is true and this is the words of God, or you weren't raised in church and so you've never seen the Bible to be true. And so I want you not to question this morning, but I want you to begin to put the Word of God to test and see is this truly something we can build our life on? Is this truly something I can trust? Because in order. To build our life, you need a foundation. In order to build anything, you need a foundation, that's strong, solid, that you can build something on. You don't build a house on a shaky foundation and expect it to stand forever. Just like we don't want to build our lives, lives on a shaky foundation with the world that we're in because it's just going to crumble. And so I want you to build your life on the word of God. And so here's the main idea I'm going to look at here this morning and then we're going to dive into three questions to helpfully help you process is this the words of God is this something I can trust? This idea of don't think no. Don't think no. Okay? So here's the first question we're going to dive into. What is in the Bible? So you're going to have to stick with me a little bit this morning because I'm going to give you a lot of like more factual things and so you got to stick with me. But what is in the Bible? So this word Bible in Latin, la Biblia, basically means books, books. So you've got to start thinking of the word of God in terms of like a library of books, not just one book, but these are a bunch of books put into one book. Okay. It's just like when when I was growing up and I was not much of a reader, but I always aspired to be a reader, hoping that I would just read a bunch of books, to get really smart. And so I was always excited when my mom would take me down the public library and that was real young because I don't really get that excited to go to the public library now but when I was really young she would take me down there and it's like you walk in and there's all these different books they got all these different sections they got nonfiction they got fiction Um, and so you and there's more but those (laughs) those the only two I'm saying but you walk in there and, and when especially if I'm writing a paper or or I'm trying to find some sources to help me give me information for something that I'm doing I go to somewhere like a library because there's a different selection of books. I don't just try to find one book and hope that the information I need is in there. I go to a place where there's a wide selection of things, and and, and and then I check it out. And so when I was like 13, I got all excited that we would go there. And so finally, I don't have it anymore, but but I got a library card. I don't even know if they do those anymore. But, but basically, it was just a little card you could get, and you could like check out books, and it was kind of like on your account, and then it, it was a great thing, and so I thought I was big stuff. Could I have this library card? But but I went to the library because there was a huge selection of books, all different things that I wanted to look at, all different things that I wanted to read, and so when we look at something like the Word of God, we got to start thinking of it a little bit in terms of like a library. There's all these different books inside one book, so there's 66 books and so basically, it's like there's 66 chapters. Each chapter is a book. There's Genesis chapter 1, Exodus chapter 2, and so on and so on. So 66 books, these are the chapters. And then there's a the basic idea of an Old and a New Testament, okay? It's getting real basic, but you got to just stick with me. Old and New Testament. Old Testament is about God's people, the nation of Israel, his relationship with them, and his plan working through them. Okay, so if you want a big overview of the Old Testament, there it is. Nation of Israel, God's plan, um, relationship with Him, them, and plan working through them. New Testament is the story of Jesus and everything after. Story of Jesus and everything after. And sometimes you might be reading this and you don't understand why you can't understand the Bible. You read Matthew, you're like, man, I understand this, I get this. And then you go back and you read Genesis, or you go back and read Exodus, you're like, man, I don't really understand this as well as I understood Matthew. The problem with when we read a book, when you open a book, whatever it is, Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, whatever you want to read, you open it up and you start reading, there's a story that goes through it. There's chapters that mark the end of it. So you kind of know, okay, coming to the end of a chapter. So this is starting a new section, whether it's continuing on this story or it shifts character points of view, whatever it is, that that that's how you understand the book. The problem with the Bible is it doesn't go necessarily in order. It goes in chronological order. or Sorry, it doesn't go in chronological order. Rather, it goes by types of literature. So that's why you might go, well, I just read Deuteronomy, and then I switched over to Joshua, and it like doesn't make sense to me. Because it's not like chronological order. It goes by types of literature. So there's different types in the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament has the first five books. Genesis through Deuteronomy is what's called the Law. Those are the boring books, you would probably say. When you start getting and reading stuff like Leviticus and Numbers, there's all these different laws. These are the books of the law, first five books. Then you move on to Joshua through Esther. These are like historical books. They give you information. Then the poetic books, Job through Songs of Songs. And then finally, you've got the last books are called the prophecy books. That's the final genre within the Old Testament. So if you expect to read through the Old Testament and it's kind of confusing to you, it's because they don't go in the order of events like a story would read. It doesn't go along the lines of a story like when you read Harry Potter. It just flows and the whole story fits together. This whole story fits together. This whole story meshes together, but it doesn't go in chronological order. They go in different types of genres. That's why it's a little confusing at times to understand. And I think what's interesting, though, that you have to understand is there's probably 40-plus different authors over a 2,000-year span. Just understand that for a second. 40-plus authors over a 2,000-year span, and all the story meshes together. That's got to be pretty amazing if you're wondering, is this, could this be true? Could the Bible really be the words of God? I mean, just think of that sole fact for an instance that 40 authors sat down at different times, different time periods, and wrote the story of Jesus all the way through. If I sat down and wrote part of a story now, and 500 years later somebody kept writing in my story, I'm pretty sure they're probably going to write some different things in their story, because they weren't living with me. They didn't see what I saw. They didn't, I didn't tell them, this is what you should write. And so that alone, when it comes to just the Bible and all these different authors, working over a 2,000-year span. We're in 2021. So that's 21 years ago. It would have been 2,000 years. Over those first 2,000 years, 40 different people wrote, and it all flows together. That's incredible. That's incredible. And Even through the different genres, even though it can get a little confusing, you got 40 different authors, 2,000 years, bunch of different genres, it all flows and points to one story. I think that's something we can trust. It's just like, I don't know how many of you watch the show Riverdale. That's one of the shows me and Shannon like to watch um, on Netflix, But but there's four different seasons right now. They're working on a fifth season. But when we start at the very beginning and we watch this show, it's going to start telling us a story. Or maybe you don't watch Riverdale. If you watch This Is Us, is very similar as well. We watch that too. But, but when you sit down and you watch the first episode, you start to begin to understand the story. When you go to season four of Riverdale, I don't know what season mean, is, three or four of This Is Us or five. If you start in the first one and go to the last one, obviously you're going to miss all the middle. But it's still going to be one story. It doesn't matter where you start in those seasons. That that They're writing all throughout the different seasons one story that flows together. One story that comes together. You're going to have to watch it all to understand it, but you can pick any episode within the seasons of Riverdale, the seasons of This Is Us. Pick another show you watch and watch through those seasons, you're going to begin to understand the story and it all flows together. It's not like they start in season one, episode one, and they write a story and then you get to season three, episode four, and you're like, this isn't even part of the story. It's just out of left field. It doesn't make any sense. That's how people write these TV shows is they write this long flowing story over a span of time. And that's exactly what people did in the Bible is all these different people, are writing this story over a different period of time, and it all flows together and fits together like a TV show. You can watch all these seasons. It makes sense, and it flows, and you're like, yeah, I get this. I saw from season one how this character developed, and now where they're at in season five. You can say, wow, now I see what what God was trying to do in Genesis, and now that I'm in Malachi, I see where he's going now. Now we're into the New Testament, and the story keeps flowing. Here's the story of the Bible, if you want to put into one simple term as you're reading through and you're like, what story is this you're talking about, Taylor? That goes from Genesis to Revelation. It's God's plan of redemption to save the human race. That's what this story is all about. And I think for for just a second I need to say, because we're going to get to it here in a second, but I think we need to stop thinking that this book is just a bunch of laws that we have to follow oh yeah, I'm a Christian, I read my Bible, and it tells me I can't do this and I can't do that. That's not at all what this is for. What this is for is to show how evil, sinful, broken, messed up we are, and in need of a Savior, and God sent His Son to be that sacrifice. That was His plan. That's what the story of this this book is all about. It's His plan of redemption. So there's the first question. What's in the Bible? There's just a basic overview of some of the things in it. Can we trust the Bible? Can we trust it? Here's where we start to get into a little bit. There's two objections I want to look at as we look at can we trust the Bible. The first is, is it possible, maybe this is one you've heard, is it possible that these myths, these are myths that are made up? Is it possible somebody just made up the Bible and put it all in a book and, and now that's what we got? I want to answer that with no. No. Why, why would you answer no, Taylor? Here's why. There are copies, especially the Gospel of John, as early dated back as 90 A.D. 90 A.D., the Gospel of John. What's very interesting, if you look it up, John ended his life, not he took his life, but his life ended in 90 to 100 A.D. So I'm telling you this because some of the earliest Copies of the Gospels we have during John's life period. So somebody didn't just make these up. One, the person that's living, the person that was breathing, that saw these events, wrote these events, and they were put together even before he died. So that would be pretty crazy to have something be made up that somebody's actually seeing and actually alive to write. Because so I think we think, oh, well, the Bible was written, but it was written years later. We have an early copy of the Gospel of John that was written during his life period. And guess what? It's telling the exact same story as the Gospel of John today. That'd be pretty crazy if he made it up. So I don't think that's possible. Could the disciples have made these mess up? That's another good question. Could the disciples have all band together and said, hey, we're going to make up this whole story of Jesus, what he, what he did on a cross, his teachings, and then how our lives are going to be. I would tell you that that's possible. You might be like, wait, wait a second, Taylor. What do you mean? I want to tell you if anything's possible. If I were to tell you something that maybe isn't true, it's not impossible. There's still a possibility that something could happen. It's like if I say, okay, there's a, there's a chance of rain today. you're like, well, Taylor, the Weather Channel says it's supposed to be 90 degrees and sunny. There's not even a chance of rain. Well, it's always possible that something could happen. But is it logical? No. Okay, so hear me on that. There's a difference between saying something's possible and then gathering all the evidence, gathering the story, gathering everything together and saying this doesn't add up logically. Something that's illogical can't make sense. That's why it's called illogical. So when we look at the disciples and we kind of break this down a little bit, it doesn't add up logically. Here's why. Three reasons. First reason, the entire world bases their calendar off of the death of Jesus. We all started A.D. Everybody know what A.D. stands for? After death. After death. So we um, started there. Go ahead. I uh, it going to It might be like the Latin, but yeah, same idea, same idea. So the whole world bases their calendar off of the death of Jesus. So that's pretty crazy if these myths were made up enough that the entire world follows this one event on their calendar. Second thing, they were fishermen. Why does that mean anything? They were very, very uneducated. We talk about the disciples and we go, okay, yeah, they followed Jesus. But do you understand, these were fishermen, probably didn't even have a full education, could barely even read or write. So you're going to tell me that all these disciples band together who could barely read or write, came up with an entire book of the New Testament, started writing all these events in, in the Gospels and such like that, band together and made all this up. That seems a little illogical if they could barely read, or write. And then finally, if you were going to make something up, if you were going to make something up, I guarantee you, you might not write that you're going to die a very horrific death. Probably going to guarantee that you wouldn't do that. You might write that you died, but how could you write that all of this is going to end in horrific deaths? Peter died as a crucifixion, upside down. You think they came up together and said, hey, we're going to make up this story, we're going to follow Jesus, and in the end, I'm going to die. And I'm not only going to die, but I'm going to get crucified upside down. Well, that doesn't really make sense. So it would be pretty crazy if they made up these events, but logically, they can barely read or write, they all die horrific deaths, and they got an entire world to follow this one event to start the calendar to where we're at 2021. That doesn't seem logical possible maybe sure but does it logical the evidence doesn't add up to point to say yeah that totally makes sense and that's a possibility that they couldn't have done that and i think what's also interesting is the second objection second objection stick with me here second objection has the bible changed over time has the bible changed over time here's some interesting things okay put this in perspective Here's some numbers of manuscripts that they have found over, over the years. The life of Caesar, they found 10. Plato, 7. I'm probably not going to say his name right, but Tacticus, this is who, and who has given us a lot of information on why we know so much about ancient Rome. They found 20. Homer's Iliad, um, we read that in school, 643. Does anybody want to take a shot at how many New Testament copies they have found? Throw a number out. No guesses? 24,633. 24,633, this number could be changed um, since since this stat came out, but 24,633. The closest one that comes to it out of this list is Homer's Iliad, and that's 643. This is 24,000 copies of the New Testament. What's even more crazy is they are 99.5% the same. 99.5% the same. 24,633 copies, 99.5% the same. This should be a reason we begin to trust. Why aren't they 100% the same, you might ask. Two different things, both kind of minor details. First thing, there's a couple spelling errors. So there's a couple copies that have John spelled with two N's instead of one. Okay? If you're looking at that, you're probably saying, Okay, there's just some different spellings on some things, but it's nothing that shakes my belief. They're just spelling things. The other thing is there's an there's a difference in the order or choice of words in some of these. So there's a verse in first Thessalonians 2 7 that reads gentle and there's another one that reads infants gentle and infants okay again basically what I'm telling you is they're not anything that's going to shake the foundation of your belief so then the 0.5 percent of difference isn't anything that's going to shake your belief there's just difference in either spelling or word choice just like one of my favorite shows to watch is Seinfeld Seinfeld if you've watched that show It's hilarious to me, um, but it was big in the 90s. And so there's this one episode, Kramer, he's the craziest one. He's got crazy hair, um, comes in and tells Jerry that this bank downtown is giving away, I think it was like $40 or something, uh, if he goes down there and they don't greet him with a hello. Okay, so Kramer says, I'm going to go down there and I'm going to get my money. So he goes down, he walks into the bank, goes up to the counter, and the person says, hi. And Instantly he goes, where's my 40 bucks? And he said, what do you mean? He said because your ad said that if you didn't say hello to me, then I was supposed to get 40 bucks and you said hi And they go, well, that's the same thing And so this whole thing blows up and he ends up going and talking to the manager The manager says well that might be pretty much the same as hello But but let me check and he gets all the employees they come over to his desk They're all discussing and they end up settling on $20 or something half of it because he didn't get a hello. But that's basically what we're saying is we're being like Kramer if these things are a big deal. She said hi to him, he wanted a hello, and some of these minor differences or some variations of words or a different word choice that are still pointing to the same thing, but they're not changing our foundation of beliefs. Not changing our foundation of beliefs. And so they don't make a difference. I think the big reason people don't want to give credit to the Word of God and it to be trustworthy and true as we look at some of these different things is it because it contradicts their life, it doesn't contradict itself. You know, I always hear people say, well, Bible contradicts itself. You know, And look at this passage and this passage. It's like, no, no, no. I think honestly what the issue is, is isn't that the Bible contradicts itself, it's that it contradicts your life, the way you're living. decisions you're making the, the ways you're choosing to live last thing what should i do with the bible so we looked at what is in the bible can i trust the bible what should i do with the bible very basic very simple read it and apply it read it and apply it look as you're reading in each of these verses what are the internal truths that I can pull out of this and apply to my life. What can I read from this verse and apply it on a daily basis? That's what you're supposed to do, is read the Bible and pull out the eternal truths. We also need to read the Bible through the lens of the New Testament. Jesus died on a cross. We're now in this new covenant Unlike the Old Testament, where before Jesus came, they had a sacrifice for their sins. Jesus came and paid the ultimate sacrifice for our sins, so now we have to read the Old Testament through the eyes of this new covenant. And we also need to know, as we're reading different things, there's certain areas of the Bible that are describing things and certain areas of the Bible that are telling us things. So don't, don't open up this book... And go to Song of Songs and see that he has a thousand wives, or Ecclesiastes, and say, Well, the Bible must be telling me that I need a thousand wives. No, that's not what the Bible's saying. The Bible's describing the way Solomon lived, it's not telling you this is what you need to go do. Okay? There's a difference in what's describing and what it's telling. And so, even though that's the way Solomon lived, he, God wasn't happy with that. He was in sin, he didn't get it right. They're describing the way he lived. David had an affair. Well, not an affair. He cheated um, or Bathsheba cheated on her husband with David. They're not telling us that's what we should go do. They're describing the way that David made a mistake, made a dumb decision. And so you got to separate the difference between those two. It's not telling you to go do these things. It's describing the ways that they lived and they messed up and they mistakes. So here's some other helpful tips as I close this out. Helpful tips. I know you stick with me. It's kind of boring, but you got to understand this. you got to understand this. What translation should I use? That's a big question people ask. What translation should I use? Should I use the NASB? Should I use the NIV? Should I use the NLT? Should I use the message? Should I use the passion? Here's what I tell you. Use whatever you're going to understand. Use whatever you're going to understand. That means... You read, mine's the NLT, and that's what you read out of, and you understand the verses, and you understand the passages, then read out of the NLT. If you can read out of the King James Version, and that's how you understand it, read out of the King James Version. I don't care which translation you use, I just want you to use something you're going to understand. When my brother was growing up, I'd always see him get on his phone when we'd be in church to get on the Bible app, and he read from the Good News Bible. But he understood it. So figure out what translation you can use. You're going to understand the most. Use it. Also, start in the gospel. If you're like, I'm not somebody that really reads my Bible, don't open this book and go to like Leviticus and be like, man, this is rough. Start in a place you're going to understand things. Start in the gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Look at Jesus' life. Look at the different teaching of his life. Start somewhere a little more simple, and then you can progress to some of these other books and see how it all fits in the story. Also... (coughs) Another good thing to do is read it in community. Read in community. Find some people to read the Bible with that you can discuss what the Bible is. So you can do on, on your Bible app, if you go on there, you can do plans, and you can do them with people who also have the Bible app. I used to do it with a couple of students, and at the end of the, the devotion for the day, you can type out different things you learned, different things you understood. There's a simple way, if you're like, I'm not with this person when I read the Bible, that you can read it. Type it out. Maybe you say, I don't understand this. And somebody else says, oh, I get it. Here's, here's what this means. Read it in a community to have other people around you to help you understand what the Bible is saying. There's an interesting study that was done in 2009 that asked Christians ranging questions ranging from sin issues to reading your Bible. And here's what they discovered. People that read their Bibles one to three days a week were not much different than those that were not believers. Okay, so if you're sitting in here and you said, this past week I read my Bible one to three times, what they're seeing in people that read the Bible one to three times a week is that their lives are not much different than those that are out there in the world. Okay, here's the other side of it. People who read their Bibles four or more times a week Here's some stats for you real quick. We're 57% less likely to get drunk, 61% less likely to use pornography, 70% less likely to have sex outside of marriage, 228% more likely to share their faith with people, 230% more likely to disciple other people, and 400% more likely to memorize Scripture. There's your tipping point. Four days or more a week, they saw real-life transformation in these people. I don't want you to read your Bible so it's something that you can check off. And I'll be the first one to tell you, I don't like reading. I don't like picking this up, and I don't like reading chapters, verses on verses on verses. It's a hard thing for me. But I read it because I know I can trust it, and that I need to build my life off of it. Because I see what it's all about is this guy named Jesus who came down to be a sacrifice so that He could save the human race from eternal separation from Him. Jesus gives us the answers to a real, genuine experience of life. And so if you think, I'm just going to keep living my life, and I'm not going to have the Word of God be a part of my daily routine, then just know you're probably not going to be much different than those that are living in the world. And we are called to be different than those in the world. We're called to live a different lifestyle. We're called to live differently. So read this book. Two quick verses. Second Corinthians three sixteen through eighteen says this. And then I'm done after I read these couple. Second Corinthians three sixteen through 18 says this but at whenever someone turns to the Lord the veil is taken away for the Lord is the spirit and wherever the spirit of the Lord is there's is freedom so all of us who have had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord and the Lord who is the spirit makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image so we all have this veil over us We all have this veil we can't see we can't understand then we make this connection Jesus is the sacrifice for me. I'm in need of a Savior. And so we enter into this relationship. And so we become more and more like him. We become more glorifying to him. We become different than the world the more and more we dive into the relationship, the more and more we read this book. I think a huge thing that shows me is this trustworthy is in Luke chapter 24, and I'm done. Luke 24 says this. Jesus is on the road to Emmaus. He had just died. He rose again, and he found these two guys, disciples that were walking on the road. So he comes up to them. He starts talking to them. saying, hey, what are you guys talking about? And they're like, have you not heard? There's a guy that just claimed to be the Savior. He died. Then when they went to the tomb this morning, he wasn't there. And it says this in verse 24 of Luke 24. Some of our men ran out to see, and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the woman had said. And then Jesus said, you foolish people. You find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. You would say, what does that have anything to do with what we're reading or learning here this morning? Jesus takes these two disciples through the entire scriptures that they had at this time, showing that what this was all pointing to was a Messiah that was going to die, but yet rise again. Jesus took his own book and proved that it could be trustworthy because some thousands of years ago, somebody said, this is going to happen, and it happened. All the way back in Genesis, when you read in Genesis, and they fall into sin, God then points them towards a promise of a person coming to sacrifice so that we could be back together again. And that was Jesus. All the way back in Genesis, he took them through the writings of Moses, which would be the first five books of the Bible, to the prophets, which is the end of the Old Testament. He takes them through the entire Old Testament, and he says, Hey, did you see here? This is what's pointing to Jesus and him coming to die on a cross. Did you see here in Joshua? This is what's pointing to Jesus as he's coming to a cross. Jesus used his own book to prove that it was true. Is that enough proof for you? I can't give you, just like I said last week, a satisfying answer that there's a verse here in Second Opinions that's going to tell you what is true. Second Opinions isn't a book, so you won't find it. But I can't point you to a verse that's going to say this Bible is true. But what I can tell you is if you look at all the facts, the manuscripts we have, you look at the way that Jesus traced through his entire life through scriptures, the way you look at what's in the Bible and how it all points to one story and all these different authors are writing one story, can't that at least be a little more reassuring that this might be true? Because we need to know that if we're going to build our life on a solid foundation that this is something that's going to be true it's all about jesus it's all about his plan of redemption and it's all because he loved you he didn't do this because he felt like he had to he did it because he wanted to and too many people don't see that jesus cares about everyone and they're the center of his universe and so they discredit this book because they want to live a different lifestyle Jesus didn't write this book to make people feel alienated. He wrote this book so that people would see a need for him and come to him and have a life that is more enjoyable than anything else. You have to choose if you're going to trust it or not. I can't make that decision for you. But you can understand that there's a lot of evidence pointing to, the, to something that we can build our life on. It's just like this. Just like this. If I were to put this up here, and it's just a thin piece of construction paper, thin piece of construction paper, nothing to it. I don't have anything inside. You can see there's nothing inside of here. This thin piece of construction paper, you see all these books. If I were to go around and ask you or take a poll, you could probably look at me and say, Taylor, I don't know if you can trust this to hold these books. I don't know if you can trust It's a thin piece of paper, it's one piece of paper. If I unfolded it, I'd show you it's one piece. You'd say, maybe three of them could hold. I could trust it to hold three, maybe four, maybe five. But if you begin to start putting these on here, and you see this tower start to hold the weight, right there's already three, there's five, there's seven. there's nine oh, this but if you keep stacking on there I could stack all 20 of these on there I did it earlier this week if you want to see it more I can do it after but right there was nine different books even nine different books holding on this one piece of paper you would have never said that it's something you can trust but the more you start to see that this can hold a couple books four books, five books, six books, you start to put more trust that this is something I can trust to be a foundation. The more and more you dive into this book, the more and more evidence you see pointing to this book is going to show you that I can trust this to be the foundation of my life. Will you choose the Bible and choose it to know that it's true and it's something I can build my life on? Don't think no. Let me pray. God, thank you for this morning.